the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. How to approach the start of a new school year and then yet another crazy Twitter incident. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Thursday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Uh, If you've missed any of our shows this week, go get the podcast, wherever it is, get your podcast, subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. All right, Aubrey, uh, school is starting for most people. You're younger, too, due to construction at their schools or whatever are still. Right. But I think most people out there right now are dealing with the start of school. They are. This is kind of the week. This there's, is the and week. there's some there's some stress about that, some emotion about that, some excitement too, but lots of yes. lots of energy right feelings. now. Yes. Feelings. And lots of feelings. In my house, uh, on Wednesday my son started his mm-hmm. freshman year of high school. Today my younger daughter starts eighth grade. Nice. Tomorrow, we take our oldest daughter to co- uh, freshman year of college, which you are feeling all the emotions very, about. I'm very emotional about Madeline we, going we've to college. We've done lots of great, like, let's do family stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm like, this That's is so good. fun. You're but like, you also in the back of your mind know, this can't continue. Yeah, like, this can't it, continue. It has to end at some point. So I want to start by asking this, and then I want to move towards how do we approach the start of school? How okay. what's how do we do this well, mm. this and that? But just wondering Personally, yeah. when your kids go back to school, what are the feelings you tend to feel? I mean, yeah, I have mixed feelings, to be honest. Like, I feel ambivalent because I like, I love them being around in the summer. There's something, I don't know why, it's just very fun to have them around. I also, to be honest, I enjoy not having to get up early and get dressed mm-hmm. and take them to school and do they have everything. And, like, to not have that in the summer is phenomenal, simultaneously my kids need a schedule our family needs a schedule i need them gone because i have work to do (laughs) and i enjoy knowing that they're learning in a safe environment and growing and and with friends and you know getting exercise like so i again mixed feelings good and bad it always feels a little stressful when school starts though because it's like inevitably there's some paperwork or form that I forgot to do. And there's a doctor's appointment. I was supposed to do, you know what I mean? Like the, at what time is everything again, That's coordinating right. carpools. So some of that, the brain space of that feels a little bit stressful. Once you're in the rhythm, it's okay, but it always takes a minute to kind of recalibrate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember. Also, can I say one thing? Yes. And, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Your name is you, on the show. Yes, you can. Thank you. I'm going to say one thing then. Look, give mom the mic for a second. Uh, <laughs> I I forget this every year and then it happened. It's happened with my high schooler and it will happen with my kids when they go back in a couple weeks. The kids are grumpy the first couple weeks of school. I forget this because they're getting used to it again and they're tired and they're so I just have to I have to remember like, okay, there's gonna be a few weeks of crankiness. It will get through this, but that that adjustment phase is a little tricky. That's right. And they also all get sick. (laughs) 
I remember when my wife, before we had kids, my wife was an elementary school PE teacher. And within those first two or three weeks, she would always get sick. (laughs) She would always get sick. You know, sad, but true. I also remember when I worked in Glen Ellen. So when I was living out in the Wheaton Glen Ellen area, I can remember the YMCA on the first day of school was like a party because it was full of moms, especially some dads, but full of moms. And they looked like the weight of the world had been lifted off of them. They were like, yeah, it was, it was funny. It was, it was funny. So, uh, so people are feeling all sorts of emotions, yeah, right? And, yeah. and my emotions are at a higher rate right now because I'm about to send a daughter to college. But let's just talk about school in general. Um, how do you talk your kids through it? Like, do you have any kids that get nervous for school? Yeah. How do you talk your kids through the start of school? What is helpful, especially for those parents out there who have kids who are like just a basket of emotions and anxiety right now? Yeah, I I think, you know, it. this is a really good time to start like praying with your kiddos mm. about their worries, reminding them that God is with them, meditating on scripture with them. Maybe they can have one one verse that they write down and stick it in their pocket or I, you know, I've got a friend who's really sick and um, her kids feel a little bit of anxiety about leaving her throughout the day. And so Uh-oh. they made matching bracelets. Sounds a little funny, but they made matching bracelets and the bracelets are like, so she wears one and then her kids wear them or put them in their pocket if they're too embarrassed to wear the bracelet. But just as a reminder, like mom is praying for you. Mom loves you. God's got our family right now. And I think you can do little tender things like that, no matter how old your kids are or young your kids mm. are. There are ways to let them know, like God is with them. There are little reminders you can put in their in their backpacks or in their pockets or just in their souls of God's goodness and God's love. And then I, I think practically too, like, Give them enough advance warning, like maybe a week before school starts. I mean, I know it's maybe too late now, but like they need to get to bed a little earlier, probably Mm. need to practice getting up a little earlier, like get them prepped so that it isn't like startling when the first of the year begins. It it is kind of like that. (laughs) Uh, It is kind of like that. Uh, How about what? How do we love on the teachers? Because this is something yeah. I always thought that my yeah. wife—I always something that I thought that my wife did really well. My wife, having been a teacher, she was that person who would always uh, email the the teacher before the night before parent teacher conference and going, "What can I bring you from Starbucks?" Oh my gosh! Like, wow, your stuff wife like is that. amazing, R- right? Wow. Like uh, absolutely. So, with that in mind. It's It's got to be anxious, exciting, all of that for new teachers. We read all over right now about how teachers are discouraged. Yeah. Um, but yeah. also, you know, you're on Facebook and you see your teacher friends all excited about this. Right, that. right. What do you think is a good way to love on, interact with, support, encourage the teachers, especially of our kids' teachers? Yeah, I mean, I that actually just hearing that your wife does that is a good reminder for me because I can sometimes get so focused on what this means for our family that I sort of forget that there are teachers involved, which right. is terrible. Because I know, especially the past two years, teachers have had a rough go of it. And so I think just your wife's model there to bring them some coffee, give them a Starbucks card when the school year starts out, um, check in. Do you need any... Like one thing our church has done is ask the teachers, do you need any school supplies? Do you need a rug mm. for your classroom? Do you need any books or whatever? And that's a way I think that your church community or your small group or you as a family can love on teachers. And I think that's also a way to 
show them the love of Jesus without being like, here's a Christian t-shirt. Like you're giving them practical (laughs) help in a way that's encouraging. I think that's a, it's good. That's so good to remember the teachers. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a time for us as churches, as individuals to be praying for our teachers and teachers always get emails like this. Why did you do this? Yeah. Why are you doing this? When it's necessary, go out there and advocate for your kid. But but what about at the beginning of the year, sending your teacher, your kid's teacher an email, especially when they're younger? Mm-hmm. There comes a point where it's a weird for mom and dad to be. But, <laughs> right. But right. especially when your kids are younger, I can't explain to you how, how much it means to the teachers I've talked to when they get emails. They go, I'm praying for you. Yeah. Hey, if you ever need anything, yeah. I can be one of those parents you call. I love that idea. Uh, what can I, you know, I'm coming to, I'm coming to pick up next week. Yeah. Can I, Drop something I'd off love to introduce you. myself. Do you want anything from Starbucks? Mm-hmm. Think about what that it's does good. for a teacher. I would encourage people to do that. I love so, that idea, Brian. The new school year is off and running, except in your household. No, it is, it is endless summer <laughs> at the Samson house. You know, where right. I grew up in New Jersey, nobody started till after Labor Day. I mean, that makes sense to me. I wish, ideally, it was uh, after Labor Day, after Memorial Day situation. Like, so, but, well, that the feels problem right. is that schedule becomes much more than after Memorial Day. Yeah. Mine used to start, like, I remember my senior year was after Labor Day. It was always mm-hmm. the Tuesday or Wednesday after Labor Day. Yep. I graduated, like... June twentieth. Oh, that's 21st. too long. So that's it, too long. It's yeah. a really difficult schedule if you're trying to like use Labor Day and Memorial Day as, as your kind of the the markers yeah, for yeah, the summer. It becomes yeah, really different. Tricky. As we've been talking about, school is getting going. Right. We're kind of moving towards the fall. Uh, I'm taking my daughter uh, to college tomorrow. Unbelievable. It is weird, isn't it, when you yeah. get to monumental life things that you've been thinking about for like eighteen years. Like everybody, when your kid is like one year old, you're like, someday we're going to drop this kid off at college yeah, or something. Yeah. But when it actually gets there, it like feels normal. Like, okay, it's time to go to college. Yeah, here like, you go. I don't know how else to explain interesting. it. It's That's kinda very like right interesting. It's kind of like before your wedding and you're standing there going, man, I'm getting married. And then right. eventually this is you're so like, big. Right, it's our wedding. I yeah. got to go walk out there yeah. and say a couple things. And- There's something where like the anticipation morphs into reality and I you're just sort so. of accepting it, I guess. It's I, kind of interesting. I think so. I, can, I know we've said this this week, but I cannot wait for Monday to see how you're processing everything. I almost wish we could have your wife in here because I want to, I really want to know how she's processing everything. Uh, yes. We're both doing great right now. Yeah. And she's obviously carrying up a lion's share of the helping Madeline pack. And- yeah. Uh, all of that stuff, but but yeah, I I think here's what you here. I'm going to make a prediction, and then we'll re- we'll circle back on Monday. Yeah, I think what you're going to hear from me on Monday is it was a really fun weekend. She's already acclimating great. I cried like a baby when I dropped her <laughs> off, but I feel good now. Yeah, I yeah. think that's okay. what you're going to okay. hear from me. Okay, I'm 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 anxious to or find that. Or you're just going to hear me blubbering. And just like, <laughs> or you're like you're calling in sick. And you're yeah. like, I can't get out of bed today. And then I think there will just be moments, right? Yeah, like you're walking around her. the house and you look into her room and you're like, oh, yeah. I wish I could go in there and we can chat. Yeah. But the beauty of technology is in that moment I can shoot her you a text. text her. How's your day going, sweetie? Right. Like that kind of thing. So. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited for like, you guys. This I feel is a big like day. On, come Monday, you're going to laugh at my pain. I feel like <laughs> no, there were, that's where I, this I'm is already heading. feeling it. I, I have so much empathy for you right now. It's I'm probably going to like wish you were like crying, and you're not going to be. Like I'm going to need you. Yeah, I'm going to need you to be a little more emotive than you will be. The question is, will you be crying when my daughter leaves? <laughs> that's probably it. I'm like at college. Hey guys. Hey, what's hey, up? I'm I can't believe this is happening. Madeline. 
I am hoping that uh, I am hoping that the actual drop, like when we leave, yeah, this is going to sound strange because I can control this, but I don't know how it'll go. Okay, I hope it's not this drawn out thing. Yeah, like, like everyone I've talked yeah. to has kind of said like, when it's time, give him a hug. And go. Tell them you love them. Yeah. Get in the car and go. As opposed to like, let's hug again. Like, like I think walk if that happens. The car, then I'll walk you back to your door and then walk uh, back to my let car. Let me take a time. picture yeah. of you walking away. Let me. T- like, I think if if, uh, if I can pull uh, that off, yeah. I think this will be a lot easier. But yeah. we shall see. Okay. Oh, wow. I'm excited for you, though. Good day. Good day. Aubrey, will you allow me to vent? I will. I will allow it, Brian. As I said earlier, also, my name is on the show, so I get to do that. <laughs> That's true. The mic is yours, sir. I saw an incident the other day that is, I think, accentuates what I don't like about Twitter, social media. Okay. And just in general, the very sensitive world that we live in. Okay, let's hear it. So I want to be careful to tell the story well, because some people could think I'm downplaying racist imagery. Yeah. And I don't want that to be what you get from this story. Yeah. yeah. So let me try to unpack the story, read the story, and tell you why I'm like, man, this is everything, not everything, but this is kind of what's wrong with us. Yes. Twitter cries foul over, quote, racist incident at the Little League World Series. So, Little League World Series is going on right now in Williamsport, uh, Pennsylvania. It is this great celebration of baseball. It's a 12 year, the best 12 year old teams in the country have made their way, earned their way to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and now the Little League World Series is going on. At the New York Post, I read this. Uh, Little League World Series is known on ESPN. It's known on, it's shown on ESPN and is known for producing its fair share of viral moments, courtesy of groups of giddy 12-year-old baseball players from around the country. But one such moment caught on camera has social media spectators crying foul, Mm. leveling accusations of racism against 12-year-olds. Mm. During the ESPN broadcast of the Little League Classic, so here's what they've done the last couple of years. They do a major league game there. Okay. Well, at a bigger stadium, but on the campus just for the Little League players. So oh, it's a really cool thing they cool. did. White players from Davenport, Iowa, a team representing the Midwest, Midwest region, were shown on camera topping their black teammates' hair with stuffing from a plus animal. Mm. Uh, so it's a... I want you to picture it this way. They've all got these little, you could tell they were giveaways, right? Little stuffed animals. Yeah. They've begun opening them up and placing the the cotton balls on top of the African-American teammate's head. Yeah, okay. And he's seen there just kind of like they're doing it to him. Yeah, Twitter exploded because it was shown on ESPN. History is literally repeating themselves. Uh, but now here's what has come out. So this became a viral Twitter thing yeah. about how racist this was. Yeah. What came out later was that he was one of many boys in a line there oh. where they were doing this to okay. his hair. Okay. More so after this, because people also went nuts at ESPN because people on ESPN were going, oh, boys will be boys and mm. laughing about it. Little League had to issue a statement. After speaking with the team, as well as reviewing photos, multiple players on the Midwest region team team were taking part in this while enjoying the game. Uh, as only one player appeared on the broadcast, Little League International understands the actions could be perceived as racially yeah. insensitive. We've spoken to the player's mother and the coaches who have assured us that there was no ill intent behind the action yeah. shown during the broadcast. Yeah. ESPN actually apologized for what their uh, for their people not being sensitive enough Being more sensitive to, yeah. and when then saying boys will be boys yeah so let me give you my take okay on this. let's hear it i think this is everything that's wrong with twitter yeah and facebook yeah. and this and that it, explain why 
The boy's mom thought it didn't have a problem. Yeah. The boy didn't have a problem. Yeah. It was taken out of context. There were lots of boys, not just the black boy. Yeah. But all of the boys. Yeah. Were doing this from other teams. If you keep watching the video, they're all laughing. Yeah. This boy has been on this team with these guys for months, year. Yeah. And yet people on Twitter think they can come in and go, Mm. that's racist. You need to apologize. Mm. You need to apologize. These 12-year-olds have this internal racism that they're doing this to this poor African-American boy when it wasn't the case. Is racism a problem? Absolutely. Sure. But this is everything that Twitter is like, and it's it's continued. People are like, well, that's not good enough. They're this. Right. And you've got these people behind their keyboards going, this, well, this is a problem. This yeah. that. And you're not understanding the context. Every Twitter, yeah. Facebook, there's no context to these stories. That's true. And now these boys are left thinking, what did we do? Yeah. Am I a bad person? Right. Why are people tweeting about this? Right. I don't know. And again, I don't want to downplay actual examples. Yep. But this isn't it. And can we just close the conversation with the boy's mother said there was no ill intent. But but Twitter does not allow that to happen. Yeah, like I, I almost wish because you can. I mean, I think you would be blind to say that the images don't have some like rate like would bring up racial sensitivity. Sure. Right. Like it, it is. I mean, let's be honest. It is racially insensitive, especially the connection with cotton and black culture. Like, so I can see how any critic would say, I feel deeply uncomfortable with this. This is bringing back a, uh, some connection to slavery. This feels like we're making a mockery of black people's hair, which is a racist attitude. Like, I can actually see how this connection was made. Simultaneously, I wish there was a way on social media to have enough nuance to be like, Look, I feel that way. I do think there's some racially insensitive imagery here. But the moms, the the mom of the player, the player himself have all said, look, we're all friends. This was fun. This was well-intentioned. Um, thanks for your opinion. <laughs> and like, let's opinion. move forward. So like, I guess a little bit of like, why not both? Like, can we acknowledge yeah. the racist part of it? If indeed there's some insensitive racial imagery. I think there is. I do. And this did not bother the family. Therefore, let's move on. You know, like, I think there there has to be some way to have these conversations with a little more relationality, I guess. is uh, uh, And like you said, without removing it from context, but also not pretending like there's nothing going on here, too. I think that's also dismissive and not right. I just can't get past the fact that nobody in that situation. Mom, yeah. boy, yeah. other players, coaches, ESPN people sitting there, other Good teams. Point. Good not point. one people Good said, point. oh my gosh, a terribly racist thing happened yeah. here in Wingsport. Yeah. But yet the virtue signaling of Twitter, people yeah. are going, let me tell you why this yeah. is bad and why you should be yeah. mad. I, I, I think this is. these are the things where I'm like, why can't people on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, just go, okay, I read the situation wrong. But in other situations, this could be bad imagery. But, right, hey, I'm right, going, right. Or ESPN I don't needs... I don't like this imagery. This feels racist to me. But they're saying a different thing. To the point that ESPN apologized. Yeah. What the heck? Yeah. Like that wasn't what was going on. And yeah. I don't know. But they can't. Social I mean, media. this is the hard part about social media and an organization like ESPN. Like, they can't not apologize. You know what I mean? And like, that's, that's what's wrong with our world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like they should, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We also want to invite you to an event next weekend, Labor Day weekend, from September 2nd through September 5th. You can enjoy the last days of summer in downtown Naperville. They're having carnival rides, live music, food vendors. Admission is free. 
It's the last fling, Naperville JC's last fling in Naperville. You can find out more by going to lastfling.org. We were talking about this yesterday, carnival food uh, that we like. I said corn dogs. You said um, the pie, the uh, funnel, funnel cake. Thank you. Yes. I, it made me think of another carnival food that is, this is very Southern. I don't know if they do this at all carnivals. We called it Frito pie. Where you, okay, so in the South, you basically take, uh, I bet our executive producer, Keith Conrad, who spent some time in Alabama, knows about this. You take Fritos. Remember Fritos? Mm-hmm. And you dump chili on top of them. We call these cheese. walking tacos. Walking tacos? Yes. I've never heard this like before. Like a bag of Fritos or a bag of Doritos or whatever, and you make like all the taco stuff in it. Like Okay, no, that's different. So a Frito pie is like a, like a um, cardboard is not the right word, like the paper food tray. Yeah. Oh, Fritos on the I bottom, gotcha. chili on top, cheese, and I that's that a Frito good. pie. I'm yeah, not a huge. I'm a big chili person, not a huge Fritos person, but I'd go for that combo. I think so. Yeah, Frito pie, walking tacos, a different version of that. You put food so in the bag of think Fritos. About, think about like a bag of Fritos, not a big bag, but like an individual one. Mm-hmm. You open it up and you put everything in it, like oh, taco okay. meat cheese okay. all the, stir it all yeah. up and you eat it from the bag like a like camping walk- camping we would call this a hobo pie which is probably not yeah. a great use of the term hobo but <laughs> where you'd like put everything in a foil and eat it yeah interesting okay well speaking of unhealth brian can i share with you some news yes it's gonna be difficult all right this is actually a little dark i, I said that kind of lightly but this is a little dark uh, life expectancy has dropped in Every state, also in Washington, D.C., in 2020, we are seeing historically unprecedented drop in life expectancy. Now, we can assume a lot of that is due to COVID. Interestingly, the biggest decrease in life expectancy was found in New York. Uh, The life expectancy declined by three years. The smallest decline in life expectancy, can you guess where that was? Wyoming. Hawaii. Oh, yeah. How about the continental? Only dropped I by point, point two. I'd be curious about the continental too, which is that one's interesting to me because you know it 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 says to, when I hear that it says to me stress is connected to life expectancy. Yeah, here's your top five. You ready? Hawaii, yeah. Washington, Minnesota, California, Massachusetts. Those are the top five least yes. drops. Read them one more time. Hawaii, Washington. So the state of Washington. State of Washington. Minnesota, California. And Massachusetts. Okay. Meanwhile, rounding out the bottom five were West Virginia, Louisiana, Alabama, Kentucky. Wow. So interesting. Now, part of this is we know because of COVID, but other they're citing other things beyond the pandemic, pandemic like just general health, people being overweight, um, other just social well-being, access to health care, drug overdoses, type mm-hmm. 2 diabetes, other chronic diseases. So um, interesting that there's this lower expectancy. I'll be curious, like after a few years post COVID, like if this swings upward or not. But the fact that this is the first time in a long time we've had this big drop is a little bit interesting. Yeah. What What do we do with this as Christians? Like, okay, life. We know life is short, mm. right? Scripture talks about life being but a vapor. Um, what do we do with that information? You may not live as long as you thought you would. Yeah, it's sobering, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and again, a lot of this has to do with COVID and the ancillary things around COVID, whether it be drug addiction, suicide, 
uh, and other th- you yeah. know, we read a lot because of COVID, people weren't getting surgeries for other things. Mm-hmm. Good point. But in general, what do you do with this? I think it is a sobering reminder that there's more to this world than we that, and that this world is coming, like our worlds are coming to an end at some point. Yeah. Our lives, I should say, are coming yeah. to an end. And we don't like to think about that. Right. We definitely don't. But the Bible spurs us to think about that. The Bible talks about this is not your home. You're like you said, your life is a mist. Yeah. All of these things, the book of Ecclesiastes yeah. over and over again. And it causes us to go, okay. How about I don't wait five years to say, what am I going to try to do with my life? How am I going to try to make a difference? How about like I start feeling some urgency? I think when we see things, here, I'll put it this way. I think when we talk about death, which is super uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah. I think when we talk about death, it it automatically raises urgency. Yeah. Like, okay, what am I living for right, then? Right. And you could take that too far. Certainly. And be like, oh, God, I'm all so nervous. What am I living for? Yeah. You could take that too far. But it does raise an urgency within us that says, okay, I want to make my life matter. I want to live for what matters. And I don't want to assume when I'm 25 or 35 that I'm automatically going to live to 85. Yeah, I, I do think there, there are some, you know, and we see this anytime someone that we love passes away. We all have this urgency for a few days following like, oh, I want to live every moment to the fullest. I want to make sure I tell the people around me that I love them. I want to make sure like we feel that urgency and then it kind of goes away. Mm -hmm. And in one sense, um, you know, you can't, you have to function, right? And so you can't live with a fear. You can't live with like um, total anxiety that life may end at any minute. Yet somehow we do have to live with that understanding of that reality that like death's coming for all of us. Yes, And I know that sounds dark and that does sound sobering, but like, are you using the time that God has given you to love the people around you, love God and love neighbor ultimately? And are you, I mean, secure that your afterlife is set with Jesus? Like, do you have the hope of heaven? Do you have the hope of new creation? Because this can feel so defeating thinking like, oh man, life might be shorter than I already thought it was because life expectancy is changing. That doesn't have to be a fearful thing if we know we're going to experience eternity in heaven with God. Um, And somehow, though, in that, it's like you need to strike that balance of like, but the right urgency of living for God with the time that you have. Yes, I think that's it. And it's the reality of our mortality. Yeah, that's kind of rhyme. Reality of our mortality. Oh, preach. That's preaching point right there. Pause pause while I write this down. It's the reality of our mortality that says, okay, I hope I don't die for a long time, but I also don't want to ignore it. Yeah. And the fact that yeah. it is going to happen someday. Mm-hmm. It only it doesn't just happen to other people. Right. And again, I hope this isn't one of those moments where we go like, right, oh, that pe- that pastor talked about mortality and then died walking off the pulpit, oh, right? Those like I want to live for stories. a long yes, time. Absolutely. With that said, I want to live as if I may not be yeah. living for a long yeah. time. And there's a big difference in our lives there. You can just, if you're like, oh, I got 60 more years, then what's the urgency? Right. I'm going to do this, do that, right. do this. Uh, live your lives with urgency. Mm. And part of that fuel is that you don't know what tomorrow brings. Yeah. You just have no idea. I remember one of the more recent um, episodes of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. Mike Cosper gives this image of 
how churches, a lot of churches used to be situated right by graveyards or a graveyard was part of the church property. And his, his sort of metaphor, visual image was just this concept of like Christians, every time they're going to church, they're also passing by a graveyard, recognizing that like death is imminent and death Mm. and suffering are part of life, but we're walking towards hope in Jesus. And I think that's sort of the way we need to live, like aware of our mortality, but living into the hope that we have in Jesus. I think that's really good. That's why they they had visual imagery of that being by a graveyard. That's good. Yeah. Isn't that a good thought? We are in late August. Uh, It seems like you wait for summer for so long and then it just flies right by. I was just thinking that, like, I feel like you and I were just, it was like two days ago. We were like, yes, it's finally summer. And now we're like, oh, it's back to school. school. It's pumpkin carving time already. (laughs) No, no. You're decorating your house for Christmas. You know what we did have already? This felt cheating big time. My mom went to Sunny Acres, which is this little like local farm in West Chicago, and she bought apple cider donuts. Oh, I I could eat those. Yes, yes, yes. yes, But that that feels very fall has begun to me. So I I wasn't ready for that in August. Uh, Sunny Acres, right up there on North Avenue, right? Yep. Used to, I knew someone who affectionately referred to it as Money Acres. Yeah, it's, it's not cheap. It is not cheap <laughs> there fun, at Sunny fall, Acres. fall fun. Yes, very fun. Uh, so we're glad that you are with us today. Hey, speaking of fall fun, the Naperville JC's last fling is back. Ooh, fun. From September 2nd through September 5th, you can enjoy the last of summer in downtown Naperville with carnival rides, live music, and food vendors. Admission is free. So for more information, check out lastfling.org. That's lastfling.org. That sounds like a good time. Yeah, that sounds like a great time. Last, downtown, I like it. Last downtown fling. Naperville, when my soon-to-be college student, as of tomorrow, uh, when she was little, always used to go to downtown Naperville and feed the ducks with oh. uh, with bread. And then they put up big signs that That's said, please so don't cute. feed the ducks. That's so, Oh, they did. Yes, Oops. They did. Oops. Not going to happen anymore. Uh, already. You tease this article over at Christianity Day. Does Jesus wear undies? People might be like, what in the world are you asking? Uh, Catherine Lee says this. My kids ask the darndest theological questions, putting my seminary degree to the test. Her point is this. Do you really want to know how much you know and whether you can think on your feet, think theologically? <laughs> Try funny. to answer kids' questions even more so than a theology degree or this or that. And she jokingly talks about how one of her kids asked, does Jesus wear undies? And like, you're like, I don't know how to answer that. Or when one of her kids said, mom, why did God make mosquitoes? Uh, that's good. That's a, I ask that sometimes. Kids too. will often ask questions that are out of left field, but she'll also ask questions that we're like, I don't know how to answer. And I actually wonder that. Yeah, right. So what do you think about her premise that if you can answer kids' questions about theology, mm. you're, you kind of know your stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's interesting, and I do feel like my kids ask really good questions, and sometimes they ask questions that you're like, oh, I wish they didn't ask that because that's a question I've been struggling with, and I really haven't allowed myself to go there, mm-hmm. you know? I'm trying to think of an example of that right now, but there are times when kids kind of like push on buttons that almost make you doubt. Like you're like, oh, I don't know how to answer that. Why is that that one way or et cetera? Um, but I I think there is something about being able to take our theological knowledge or our biblical knowledge. And if we can explain it to kids, then certainly we can explain it 
to anybody. Yes. And then I think what we're moving from, what I, I kind of like this, is what we're moving from then is this concern about like getting our doctrine exactly right, which I do think matters. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But we're moving from that to just like a childlike faith. And I think that's a good posture for all of us. Yeah, that is what makes you remember what the words of Jesus, right? He says, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Uh, Faith like a child. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you how do you teach and preach those passages? Why do you think Jesus had an affinity towards not just children, but the faith of children? Like, honor it. Like there was almost something to be. Uh, not almost. There was something to be. Um, want, he's kind of basically saying to us adults, like, long to have the faith of a child. Yeah, it's it's funny. I was talking with a, a guy yesterday. He's sixty six year old pastor, and he was saying that he was like the journey of every Christian life is the journey of being like um, re invited by God into a childlike faith. Mm. So as you get older or as you hit crises in life or as you hit seasons of doubt or as the scaffolding of your faith begins to crash, you can lose just really the essence of faith, which is like it, the essence of faith is childlike because it's believing what you can't really prove. Right. And so you do have to have this childlike sort of like, okay, here I go. And he said, but the invitation is always from God, that invitation back to a childlike faith. One, because a child is a son or daughter, and it's a reminder that you're a son of or daughter of God, and you don't have to have the right intellect. You don't have to think your way into the kingdom. You don't have to understand doctrine perfectly. Like, you don't even have to know what you don't know. Ultimately, you just have to believe and worship. And, yeah. and children are able to do that with joy, without questioning, without doubting themselves, without overthinking it, without getting all morose in a way that adults just aren't able to. And so I, I guess why it was important to Jesus was like for our own souls, like it is, it is lighter, I think, and freer to have a childlike faith and that there's a value there. Like, I think sometimes we undervalue a childlike faith, especially around here in the Chicagoland area where people are so educated in in Christianity and biblical education. And, you know, you can come across people who are experts in Old Testament and New Testament everywhere you turn. And those are good things. I'm not trying to say they're not good things, but if they move you to like arrogance and skepticism and um, feeling like you're better than other people because you think a certain way and they move you away from a childlike faith, that's a flag, I think. Yeah. I think like good, any good practice of Christianity moves you to just humble yourself before the Lord like a child does. So what stops us from doing that? Mm. Why is this not also called adult-like faith? Like why, <laughs> why as we get older and in theory smarter, understand more, mm. have more life experience, mm. do we actually go away from what Jesus is saying? No, this is better. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like a little bit questioning that myself. I I think part of it is life gets hard. I mean, I'll just be really practical for a minute. I think um, things hit us as adults that we weren't prepared for. We hit crises, we hit walls, we hit whatever. And all of a sudden, this thing we were able to believe without question is shaken. And I think at that point, we do come to a watershed moment in our faith where like, will we choose to believe the things we believed as children or are we going to walk away from the God that we've loved? And I think it's a, as adults, that watershed moment hits us. And a lot of us choose 
not to go through the wall, not to go through the crisis, not to choose faith. Mm. We choose disbelief or walking away from God because like it just quote unquote hasn't worked in the way that we thought it would. And I think unfortunately that's, I mean, we could, we could talk very philosophically about this. I think that's a discipleship problem in the Mm -hmm. church. I think that's a whole other thing, but I, I think interestingly maturity in Christ would actually say, wow, God is bigger than I could ever imagine, and I'm more of a child before him than I could ever imagine, and that's a good thing. Yes. But instead, we do the opposite. Yeah, because we think we think childlike means simple. Right, And right. immature. Right. And, oh, no, I know better than mm-hmm. this. And in fact, again, we talked about this, I believe, on yesterday's show, uh, that is kind of the road, the pathway to Phariseeism. Phariseeical yeah, wow. is, yeah. I know better. I'm beyond that. Mm-hmm. I'm beyond this wonder. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I think about childlike faith. We talk about that a lot on the show here, the need for awe and wonder. Yeah, that's Think good. about when your kids were little. Everything created awe. That's so true. Everything created yeah. awe. And then we get older and we lose that. Mm-hmm. And that's to our detriment, yeah, I, I think would say. Right, so uh, does Jesus wear undies? An interesting <laughs> way to set that one up. And uh, the you know, the importance of a childlike faith. The time has come. We've been, we've been talking about doing this for we a have, while. We've been teasing it. We've been toying around with it. It, it all was inspired by your trip to Mount Rushmore mm-hmm. in South Dakota. We said, what if we could do the Mount Rushmore of America's pastors? So yes. basically, we've been asking ourselves, who are America's pastors? And like, if you were going to give somebody the title, that's America's pastor. Yeah. And you and I, so first of all, I think we are agreeing that we're we're going for living. Yeah, we decided living. Living. Yep. yep. They actually have to be a pastor. So we're not talking theologian. Mm-hmm. We're not talking author, speaker. You, you in past time had brought up Beth Moore. Yeah, I think Beth Moore would be, Beth but Moore, you're saying she's not a pastor. Beth Moore might be on the Mount Rushmore of something else yeah. of yeah. of greater Christianity, but not of pastor. Yeah. Uh and we're we're sticking to what we know. Yeah. So we're sticking to more evangelicalism here, right? That, that's like, fair. That's I fair. understand that there are other avenues here. You and I just don't swim in those streams. Yeah. So if you're asking me who is the most influential Anglican priest, I don't know. And so... Uh, Can I ask another clarifying question? Because sure. we're figuring this out as we go. Brian and I don't have Mount Rushmore settled in our minds yet. Uh, do we always agree with these pastors? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, are no, we saying they're the most so. influential in our lives? Nope, or nope. we're saying America's? America. So, because that changes some things. That adds somebody to the list for me. So I think if we were to go to, if you were to survey the, we're, we're asking who would the majority of evangelical Christians yeah. in America, yeah. if you ask them, who is America's pastor? What they would say. What are this the top is almost like Family Feud survey yep. says. What, okay. are, what are the top four that are going to come? So, yes, okay. you do not have to agree with them. Okay. Uh, but that's right. where we are going. All right. I'm going to put up my first nomination. I think you and I, I don't want to cut the legs out from under us, but I got a feeling our top three are pretty set. Maybe. Because I'm still torn on some of my top ones. But I, I have to nominate Tony Evans for the. Tony Evans is on my for list. For Mount Rushmore of America's past. Okay. He is 100% on the list. Why? Uh, I think he's deeply influential. Mm-hmm. Uh, reach is massive. There's a Tony Evans Bible. 
Uh, <laughs> that, that does and, and I just think he is a faithful guy. And I will also say, if we're thinking about the importance of legacy generationally, yes. Tony Evans' daughters and daughters-in-laws and other family members have gone on to lead massive ministries, Correct. Priscilla Correct. Shire being one of them. And so I just think, like, here's a godly man who has stood the test of time, uh, preaching both to the black community and the white community right. and other ethnic communities as well. Different ages. He's still relevant. Uh, and again, just that faithfulness over the long haul. That's good. I, he is on my list. Okay. If you've ever been in a room okay. with Tony Evans and heard him speak, you went, yep, that guy. I get why that's Tony Evans. Uh, okay, let's hear who you have. And we'll, can I also we'll... make one more clarification yeah, here? Please. I, you and I are workshopping this. We're going yeah, we're workshopping. It. We're not settled here, folks. There are some people with the title reverend who are really influential, but they're mm-hmm. not influential for being a pastor. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. Reverend Al Sharpton. Right, like he is, he is influential a politically, but not necessarily pastorally. Not necessarily okay. pastorally. Yes, yes. Okay. Oh, we also—I don't know if we said this to the people. We also decided they needed to be alive. I already said that. Oh, yes. you did. I'm sorry. We're going living because so. in my mind, like a Billy Graham would Billy probably Graham. be on here, yes, but yes. although he was an evangelist, not necessarily a pastor. He's a pastor too. Well, yeah. but then Beth Moore's a pastor. You got to you know, get Billy Graham uh, was literally a pastor, though. Oh, of a church. Yes. Oh, I thought he was yes. just a traveling evangelist. And then he started traveling around oh, and okay. stuff. So, okay, all right. You don't get your Wheaton education there, really right? not. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Christianity today. Sorry, Wheaton. So mine. Uh, Who's next? I would for like you? to add. I would like to nominate number two here. So we've agreed, Tony Evans. Tony we, Evans. Somebody is up there, yeah. carving his face right into now, the mountain right as now. We speak. We've decided. Yes. I think we're going to agree on number two. Okay. Even though he technically just retired. Ah, I know who you're going to say. This person has spoken at inaugurations. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think people refer to him as America's pastor. Yeah. This is the Reverend Rick Warren. Yeah, absolutely. Tell, tell me why you think Rick Warren is America's pastor. Because, well, he's got a really, so this would be lower on the list, but a really well-known church with maybe, not maybe, the most influential book outside of the Bible ever written. Yes. <laughs> but there comes a point where people transcend like, the arguments. Yeah. Right? And, wow. you know, Rick Warren, when he wanted to have, I think it was Obama and McCain, debate at his church, they both came. Interesting. Not everybody can do that. No. If I yeah. were like, I would like to have a debate. Okay. We're yeah. glad that you would like that, yeah. but it's not going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I, I think Rick Warren, I'm very excited to see what Rick Warren does uh, now in, in this next act, now that he yeah, has retired from Saddleback. I am excited Saddleback. to see that too. Can we also just say that to be on the Mount Rushmore feels, and maybe you won't have this, Yeah, feels like it requires some age. I think it requires some Feels like it some requires age. some Yeah, I agree. Uh, some maturity. Gravitas. Yes. All right. So we're agreeing. They're yeah. up there. They're putting Rick Warren's cheery face. I think Rick the next Warren's two are going to be face. controversial. They're, they're putting Rick Warren's cheery face up there in the mountains right now next for us. Next to Tony Evans. Okay, so we got uh, two. They're done. We got to. Now it gets complicated. And can we just also tell people, anytime you listen on the radio or anywhere they do Mount Rushmore, it's got to be four. Okay. There's four faces on Mount Thank Rushmore. Thank you, because there was a moment in my mind where I was like, is it three or four? Is it it's three four. or four? It's four. Okay. It's Washington, four. Lincoln, Jefferson, uh, and Roosevelt. Well done. I well was done, just there. Sir. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so. I would not have guessed that, but good job. Okay, I'm going to throw out some names. Now, I, I don't know. I'm just throwing them out there for us to ponder. Okay. okay. I have a number three that I oh, think is, do? I feel really good Can I really tell you the about. names I'm throwing about yes. to see if it, maybe some of ours match up? Yes. I'm going to throw out Andy Stanley. Okay. I'm going to throw out uh, Francis Chan, although the age thing I think is a problem. 
um, because he's young. Now, this one I think is deeply controversial. I'm ready. This is the question I was asking before. Do we have to agree with them to say they're married? Yeah. You're about to say Joel Osteen. I'm about to say Joel Osteen. (laughs) I'm about, because he's so influential. I don't think people would, though, say that's my, that's America. I get what you're saying. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. You don't? I don't. Brian, 10 million viewers in the U.S. alone. I, I, I get what you're saying. He's a pastor, author, televangelist. I get, I get what you're saying. I, I don't think so, but we can argue. Okay. Up. All right. Uh, this is my number three that I think you just overlooked. I think is locked in. Oh, oh, okay. His book is sitting next to us in the studio. His name is Max Lucado. Okay. I knew he was going to come up for you. Okay. And uh, I'm torn about Max Lucado because I do think he was deeply influential but I don't know that everybody would say, oh, Max Lucado is my pastor. I like his books devotionally. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. I've heard people say that. Don't know that they're saying he's my pastor. Yeah. I'll put it into consideration, though. Okay. We might have to come back to three and four. We might have to keep talking Actually, about this. I think we're going to need to disagree on them. Let's have our own Mount Rushmore's here. <laughs> no, no. We could not have our own Mount Rushmore's. We well, might just have to keep talking Andy about Stanley it. Your Andy Stanley one is good. I think okay. Tim Keller's a good one, but oh, a little Keller. too niche. I, think, ah. I don't think that that one... He, his, his, the breadth is the not breadth. there. Yeah. Let yeah. me throw another one out here. Okay. All right. Chuck Swindoll. Ooh, especially for a certain generation. A lot of Salem people on here, by the way. A lot of Salem people <laughs> on here. Okay, yeah, I could see that. I I'm going to declare that. my four. You ready? No, we're going to And doing then I want you to together. declare your four. Brian! Okay. Okay, declare your four. I feel like you've just ruined this whole nope, thing. No, nope, let's go. go let's go. go. How do we agree on this, though, then? No, I, you go ahead. Declare your four. Just know that I'm my not My Mount yet. Rushmore of the evangelical pastors right now of America's pastor... Okay. Rick Warren. Okay. Tony Evans. Max Lucado. Chuck Swindoll. Okay. So you've you've named I yours. like your Andy Stanley one, okay. by the way. I'm not ready. So I'm I'm gonna, Are you I'm, not gonna, gonna I'm gonna have to come back to it. No. Our time. Our time right no, now. Your carvers, they need to know. They they don't have the I'm time. Putting a pin in their work. I'm giving them a leave of absence because <laughs> I still I am not ready for my final two yet. I will let you know when I am. We will come back to it. But so far you're I've like, got my mountain is Rick Warren. And Tony Evans. And Tony Joel Evans Osteen and Creflo Dollar. That is you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, please let us know because obviously I still need some help with this. You can let us know at Common Good Talk. Who is America's pastor? Who are the Mount Rushmore of pastors? It is the end of the show. The end of every show. We love to give you something to put a smile on your face. And I think nothing Puts a smile on your face more than Girl Scout cookies. Ooh. What's your favorite Girl Scout cookie? I was about to ask you that. Mine are uh, Samo- Samoas. Is that what they're called? Samoas. Yes. They're the coconut caramely mm, chocolate. I don't like coconut. Ooh, I do. And I love the caramel part. And you know, those are good too. You can like freeze them a little bit and they okay. get kind of hard. Those are really good. My husband likes a mint. I don't uh, like thin mints. I don't Thin mints either. I but my husband loves thin mints. I just like I don't know what they're called. I'm look trying to look it up. Yeah, look them up. Look I them just up. like like the shortbread, like the oh yeah, the classic are, kind of classic. cookie. I love those, those cookies. I will eat those and eat those and eat those. Yeah, we should do like a top five best Girl Scout cookies sometimes. Number one, all of them. <laughs> uh, is it Girl Scout cookie time of year? I wonder. I have no idea. Never had a Girl Scout. I'm like yeah, I never did either. But it would be nice to be able to buy some cookies. Here are some of the oh, here are some of the most popular ones. Tagalongs. Yep, do you remember I like those them. ones? No, I do like them. 
Uh, caramel delights, which are also Samoa. So that's basically the same thing. Tagalongs are the peanut butter ones, right? Yes. yes. Um, Dosi Doe's, another peanut butter one. I haven't had this, but I think I would like it. Lemon cookies. I don't They're like called lemon. lemon ups. Oh, I love. Don't like lemon. lemon. Okay, are you ready though for but, the new uh, the new flavors? Yeah. Okay, this one I think you're really gonna like. This I, was from last year. No, I think you will because of okay. something you told me earlier this week in the show. Girl Scouts introduced Toast Yay, a French toast flavored cookie shaped like you guessed it. French toast okay. dipped in icing. I would at least give it a try. I mean, I think that sounds I delicious. I like I did tell you earlier in the week that I love French toast. Yeah. So I would be hypocritical to be like, no. Yeah. I, th- I think I could be talked into that one. Yeah, I think that sounds really good. Okay, there's a brand new one this year. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Raspberry Rally cookies. I know, I know. I do like normally like raspberry yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, but chocolate on it. I'm not a big chocolate person. I'd probably give it a try, but I wouldn't have high expectations on this one. They're describing it as a sister to the Thin Mint. It's a thin, crispy cookie infused with raspberry and dipped in the classic hard shell chocolate coating. But do you want to hear something crazy about it? I do. They will be the first Girl Scout cookie to be sold online only. Ooh. I wonder what the the impetus behind that is. Is it like to create more desire for it, tension for it, or just to see how it goes? I'm not sure. I'm kind of interested in that. It's kind of a yes, yes. I think that's an, a, a yeah. yes and, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's what's happening in the Girl Scout cookie world. I just have this thing about uh, classic things like Girl Scout cookies, or I've shared this story with you, right? In the end, I think we like the traditional stuff. Interesting. So I once in Orlando, Florida, I was going to a conference, <laughs> me and another a pastor friend of mine. We got to the airport. We're, it was exponential. We're driving oh. straight to the exponential conference. Yes. We need to eat. And so we go, hey, let's just drive through McDonald's. Yeah. We get to this McDonald's to drive through it. And it is one of these experimental McDonald's where there are like three different menus to pick from at the drive-thru. They had chicken Parmesan. They had pasta. They had at McDonald's. This is one of these experimental ones where they're trying stuff. So we were amazed. We're sitting there like you could get this. You can get this. Yeah. I got a quarter pounder with cheese. (laughs) What'd your friend get? Same deal. Big Mac or something. Because you go to McDonald's and you know For what you want. burgers and fries. If yeah. a Girl Scout came to my house and was like, we have this new, this new, this new. I'm like, that's go, awesome. I would like I the shortbread. I want this, this, and this. I yeah. would like the shortbread. Give me the shortbread. Because I know I like it. Yeah. It's going to bring back nostalgia. Yeah. It's going to help me remember my childhood. It's all of these things, right? If at Christmas time they were like, you know what? We've got eight new lines of candy cane. I'd be like, great. Give me the peppermint Give one. me the original. <laughs> I mean... I think in the end, we have a propensity towards the things we've yeah. always known that we like, yeah. that give us nostalgia. It is sort of the same reason, like, you go to a restaurant and you order the same thing every time. Like, you, every time you go to whatever, on the board, or you know you're going to order X, Y, Z, because you know you like it. I think for me, uh, there are some people who I know want to try a new thing on the menu every time. But I'm like, but what if you don't like it? You yeah. know the thing you like, so you might as well just get the one that you really like. Is that, would you say you're in a rut if you do that? Or you think that's just like classic stability? Classic stability. Yeah. Now, I'm that type of person. But yeah. um, like Carrie and I, at least before we had kids, we weren't big on like, hey, let's go out and use some of our money for going out at new, let's go try a totally new place. Right. It was like, 
we know we like that yeah. place and we know what we're going to get. And, yeah. and it was, so that's kind of a little bit personality driven. Yeah, that makes sense. I will say I want to try this cinema, or this French toast one. I would I try it. that sounds really good. But if you ask me to buy a box of stuff, that's if you a little came to too my intense. Door, get in the shortbread. A little too much. Okay. Get in the shortbread. All right. Do you want to hear something else in food news, I'm Brian? I, I'm hungry. Uh, I'm hungry. There... Uh, Essentially, a company that uses data to measure customer satisfaction has released a report on America's most beloved grocery store. Okay. Okay. Now, this one, I I don't look. I want you to guess what it is, but I will tell you this one we don't find in Illinois, at least not that I'm aware of. And so you're going to have to think outside of the box, like places that you've shopped in other states. What's the one in Florida? There's that oh, one in Florida. Okay, so that made the list. Publix is what That's you're thinking, what thinking of. of. That did make the list. That was behind uh, Whole Foods, Safeways, and Albertsons. This is another one, though. So I grew up on the East Coast, and we were all about ShopRite. Okay, ShopRite is not on there. Shall I just tell you? Yes. Kroger. Oh. Kroger. So Kroger we had when we lived in Atlanta. We shopped at Kroger there. Okay. We didn't have Kroger in Oklahoma, and we don't have Kroger here. So I was surprised that... Kroger it had a 53% score beating Whole Foods, Safeway, Albertsons, and like I said, Publix. The results have been met with mild befuddlement from most food and lifestyle media that's catered in New York, where Kroger hasn't established loca- locations. People thought Trader Joe's would be on there, hmm. Wegmans would be on there. Um, but apparently, they are very sprawling. They have 2,796 stores in over 35 states. So it is one of the largest retail chains in the country. Do you struggle with Trader Joe's? Uh, I struggle with Trader Joe's. I don't Joe's. have it feelings feels... one way or the other about it. What, tell me. Tell me. Let's talk. Feels pretentious. <laughs> you, I think I... Whole Foods feels pretentious. Oh, no. Pretentious is not a big enough word for Whole Foods. I but... feel like Trader Joe's is like the everyman's Whole Foods. No, it's like the lay person's I never know where anything is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I feel like Trader Joe's is a less expensive every man's Whole Foods. I would not call it every man's. Because it's all organic. Every and it's man all, is but going it's not to all the hoity-toity as Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's okay. I anyway, guess that's, that's true. I've, you, I have issues with Trader Joe's. You have some feelings yeah. about Trader Joe's. Where do you do most of your grocery shopping? Or where does your wife do most of the grocery shopping at your, in your So house? if we go, we tend to go to Jewel. Yep. Uh, my wife will order from Amazon Prime and yeah. other stuff if, yeah. if it's getting delivered. Yeah, I'm a big, as this happened in COVID, I started doing Target delivery because they were one of the only local places around me that delivered. Okay. And I'm in a, well, I, what I would consider a really good rut, speaking of ruts, where I just get all my groceries delivered from Target still because it takes a lot of time to go grocery shopping. It does. It does. It is. I say it's more expensive, but I actually think I save money because when I'm at Target myself, that's when I'm like, ooh, I need that cute Smashing Pumpkin sweater. <laughs> oh, I've always wanted that uh-huh. coffee mug that says Yes Queen on it. You know what I mean? But I don't do that when I'm online shopping. All right. So America loves Kroger the most. Okay. All right. Well, I now want Girl Scout cookies. I want Girl Scout cookies too. Maybe and French you toast. want. Yeah, and French toast and waffles and pancakes. Hey, we will be back again tomorrow. With uh, some more stories about food and other Mm. fun things. We'll be back from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.